0: Potluck picture. Yeah, yeah. I was. I, I I told Pastor Mike. I said, I, I think I'm gonna get some pizzas or something. I don't know. Something smells really good and put it in here all morning while I'm preaching, just to just to drive the point home. But I decided to not do that. But that that's bad enough because that's making me. That's a pretty good spread right there. I mean, wow. And I'm hungry this morning. So, you guys hungry? <laughs> well. I have been working on this. I was I was excited when Pastor Mike asked me to uh to preach, because I don't think he knew that this was kind of brewing in my spirit. And uh well, I know he didn't. He didn't know. And uh so it's it's been it's been on my heart for a little while. And so when he asked me to uh to speak, I was already quite a way along in this sermon. Um but then already this morning the, the Holy Spirit's changing things up on me, so that's why my notes are all out of order here. So I'm going to start. We're going to read in, uh, let's see, where am I? Romans 8. Romans 8.5. We'll start with that, and then I'll get into my, pre- my preface, preface, whatever you call that. My uh, prelude. Anyways, it says in uh, Romans 8.5, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. We're on verse 11. And if the Spirit of who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead also will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that, you're, so that you live in fear, rather the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His suffering, in order that we may also share in His glory." And that, that chapter, if, if you have time i 'm not going to read through the whole chapter, but read, read Romans eight on on your own, meditate on that, study that because it talks a lot about our, our struggle against flesh, which, which Christ already beat, okay He already won the struggle. We just need to lean on christ to to, to, uh, 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 to to maintain not to maintain but to thrive with our relationship with God rather than fighting against our flesh constantly. but there is this battle that happens, and it talks about also about how how We we all, and I think we would all agree with this, life is not easy. Life is hard. And even as a Christian, just because we're a Christian, just because uh, we are heirs of God doesn't mean that life magically becomes easy just because we we accept Christ into our heart. It's it's still hard. Every day is a battle. Every day is a struggle. Some days worse than others. We all have hard things that we have to deal with. There is that, that suffering. But we suffer now for that future glory later, that future time with Christ, that eternity. We have that to look forward to. And the thing that uh, that I always think about is, you know, we I, I, and I hear a lot of a lot of uh, people that don't believe in Christ, especially those that are very hard against against Christ. They, they will use things, say things like, you, "You just use God as a crutch." Well, I would I would rather use God as a crutch than some of the things they're using as a crutch, and, and I'd rather have God to lean on than have nothing to lean on. That's that's extremely bleak. I, I can't even imagine. And and as Hannah said earlier, with with suicide rates higher than they've ever been, I feel like a lot of people. Uh, there, there, there's an emptiness that they cannot fill and they don't know how to fill it and they're filling it with all the wrong things. They're all temporary uh, things that, uh, that that don't last. So, to my introduction, <laughs> I really felt that scripture was important because if you remember nothing else today about what I preach about, I want that to sink in. And I also know that when uh, when, when, we, when we speak scripture, when we read scripture, that doesn't return void. So at least I've invested scripture in you so if I say nothing else, then, uh, then, then I've invested that. But today we're going to be talking about the hunger and thirst. And, and I will say that I am just as guilty of the things that I'm going to talk about as, as, as anyone else. I mean, when, when, I'm, when I get a sermon from the Lord, it's usually something I need to work on just as much as we need to work on. So these are areas that, uh, that we're all going to have uh, struggles and that, we're all gonna need to, that we all need to grow. But I have three questions that I'm going to ask throughout the sermon. And there are questions I can't really answer for you. You, you. These are things you have to search your heart for. You have to ask yourself these questions, search yourselves out, and, 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 and figure out where you stand. And like I, like I started with, are you, are you hungry? That's the first question. One of the Beatitudes, it's in uh, Matthew 5, 8. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not they might be filled. It says they will be filled. If you seek after righteousness, you will be filled. Are you hungry? Do you have a desire to seek after the things of God so vigorously that you're willing to sacrifice everything else? Sacrifice your time. Sacrifice even relationships. Are you willing to sacrifice all things so that you can grow re- your relationship with God? Are you hungry? Do you even want to be here this morning? Are you more concerned with, you know, just putting your time in, waiting for the service to get over with so we can get home and get on to the things that are really important to you? And this is more of a religious act, or we're here on Sunday morning because we, we know it's the right thing to do, but we're not really into it. We're not, we don't really, really feel like we're, we're, we're getting fed. Are you hungry? You know, I truly believe that uh, our need and desire for God supersedes our need and desire for anything else a- at all. I think this starts at the maybe maybe at the point of conception. Um, we we have a desire to meet our Creator. We have a desire to have a relationship with our Creator. And as we grow, as we get older, other things take precedent or, or fill that, or even inoculate that feeling, or numb that feeling, that, that desire, that pull to God, that that uh, that draw that pulls us to wanting to see Jesus. You know, to to a point, I would say that numbness can get so strong that not only can we, we, we don't really feel it the same way, that feeling that we do get, we, we can't even identify what it is. There's a hole inside of us, right? There's this, there's this emptiness inside of us that we can't fill with anything other than God, but we can get so far detached from it, so numbed and inoculated by the things of the world, that we can't identify that it's that's mis- it's God it's, that's missing. Not something else, not another thing, not a relationship. It's our relationship with God that's missing. But we get so far removed from that, we just we can't figure out what is that. Why do I feel empty? You know, why do I feel just blah? I, I don't feel good today. Something doesn't feel right today. Something feels missing. I feel uh, uh, depressed. I feel numb. You know, there's a, a personal story. So a week ago, we had uh, an incident with our with well with my son, and. Uh, my, my wife was giving him a bath, Polly, and he really likes water. He likes water a lot. If you were to take him, in fact, we've been out to, uh, what is it, Ferry, Ferry Beach, I think it's called over here. And uh, so we took him out there, and he loves water. So everyone else is playing on the slide, and if you let him go, he will beeline for the water, and he'll go in. He doesn't, he doesn't care what he's wearing, he's just, I'm going in the water. He loves the water. We take him to a pool. He loves the water. He doesn't know how to swim in it. I mean, we've got to be right there with him and, and help him through. But he absolutely loves water. So he's taking a bath in the water. Bath time was getting to the part of being clo- you know done. We are getting him ready to, to get out of there. And so my wife's draining the tub. And he also is starting to get a little bit older, where he, he, he obviously can't communicate the way that, that, uh, that we communicate. And you can see the frustration. He's getting old enough to know what he wants. He wants something, and he's trying to get it across. This is what I want, but we can't understand what it it is he wants. And and so he's starting to throw, like, toddler fits. Um, Like, normal. you know, throw myself on the floor. I'm going to thrash around. I'm going to have a fit because you're not giving me what I want. I want it. You know, get me the thing that I want. So anyway, so she's she's getting the water drained out, and he's just flipping out. He is mad because the water is getting drained, and he doesn't want to get out of there. So anyways, long story short, he's thrashing around. He slams his face on the tub, puts his tooth through his lip. Like, really bad. And it was, it was I mean, it's like, oh, oh, my God, this is really bad. So get him cleaned up. I take him, um, well, we take him to the emergency room. And, uh, I mean, that thing's, it's got to be hurting. And, of course, he, he, he's a chewer, so he keeps bumping it. And it was it, once he got over the initial pain, he, he seemed to be okay a while. And then he would bump it again, and then he'd start crying again. And then, then he'd be okay because he'd forget about it. He'd be playing again. And then he'd bump it again, and then it was just like a, a constant cycle. So we get into the hospital. The doctors look at it like, yeah, that's going to take a couple stitches. So, like, okay, and they're discussing how they're going to do this. They, they, they understand he's got some special needs. This isn't going to be just numbing it. We're going to have to do a little more to get, this, uh, to get this sewed up properly so it looks good and heals up good and all that. So they're figuring it out. They make a decision. They decide they're going to first give him something, and I don't know what. I don't know all the, the different names of the, of the medications, but they give him a medication that kind of makes him just not really care about anything. And so to do that, they did put it in through an IV, so we're having to hold him down, and he is, like, trying to wrestle a bear. Especially, I mean, I don't know if anyone, I, I don't like being, you know, it, uh, what, what do you call it, uh, uh, confined or held. And and he even more so, and he's, and he's trying to communicate. He's, I mean, I think that was far worse than the pain in his lip was just everyone's trying to hold him down so they can get this thing in his arm, and it hurts, and he's, I mean, that was, that was awful. And he's yelling, and uh, we're holding him, and, and they, they get it in. Well, the, 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 uh, what is the anesthesiologist, he, he puts just a little bit of this stuff in. And he goes from this, just fighting to like, and he's like playing with the doctor's thing. And he's looking at stuff and just, just completely different. I mean, he just, and I felt, because I'm holding on to him, I felt him just melt. He just melt. He went from just to, you could feel everything just melt. And, you know, if, if, that, if that pain were kind of, I, I would really, kind of like our, our hunger for, for God, if that, if that pain was the same, you know, the things of this world do a lot like those, those medications do. They, they, they inoculate that, that feeling that we have, that hunger we have for Christ, to have more of Christ, have more of that, that deeper relationship with God. It, it, it inoculates it, it numbs it, it kind of melts it away. But I think we all know that those things are temporary, right? So they, they continue, they, they, they end up putting that stuff in, they took him to another room, and then they put the stuff in that actually put him to sleep for a little while, and uh, they sewed up his lip. And then he's waking up, and as he's waking up he's usually a pretty happy kid if you know him he's he's not usually too angry about anything and he is just a little monster he wakes up he's mad he's just angry and yelling he's like throwing himself around and he just was not a happy camper because all of that you know that that that's that temporary stuff that was making that pain go away was disappearing and the flood of pain was coming and it was coming back probably worse than it was before because they'd manipulated the lip, and they got they sewed. Ugh. It, was, it, it had to it hurt. And that was all coming back in a flood. And you know, the, the things that we have in this, in this world, there's so many distractions, and I think they work a lot like those sedatives. Again, they, they, the, we, we fill our life with these other things, these other distractions, and then when those things, when the, when the fun or the, the, the whatever, the, the, whatever that, that is wears off, that hunger comes back, that feeling comes back, and we, we can't, uh, can't, again, can't put our finger on it. What is this? Why, why, do I, why does nothing seem to be enough to fill this void, to fill this spot, you know, this emptiness that I have? You know, when we've lost our hunger and thirst for God, it's very difficult to identify what it is. We know there's something missing, but it's hard to identify. We should know better, and and again, this I think this preaches whether whether you've been a Christian for a long time, whether you've been a Christian for a short time, or you're not a Christian at all. You have no relationship with God. We all feel that need, and we're all at different places on on how I guess inoculated to the God's spirit that we are, how 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 far removed, and and we can we we all uh, in our relationship with Christ. So I can I guess I can't say all, but many of us in a relationship with Christ have had roller coaster rides where we feel close to God. And we're filling it with the right things. And other times we're kind of, you know, God's over here and we're filling it with other things. Another way to look at it, because uh, I was thinking about this too, in a, in a way I think it's worse for the Christian. You know, kind of like the, the whole saying, you know, it's better to love and loved and lost than never loved at all. Um, that's not scriptural, by the way, but it, uh, it, it, it kind of along that logic of, man, to feel that fulfillment of having that relationship with God, you know, asking asking Christ into your heart and having that that conversion experience, that excitement that comes along with that. And then to walk away from it, I feel like it's so much worse because you've tasted the bread of life. you tasted that relationship with God and now that relationship, you know, then, then you push it away. I, I think it's even worse. Again, talking about food, since we got food up there, I, I, I was kind of thinking about it like this. I was eating oatmeal the other day, and I hate, I hate oatmeal. And I'm sorry if you like oatmeal, but I absolutely can't stand. I despise oatmeal. Uh, my mom knows. She tried to make me eat it when I was a kid. Get it? I'd starve myself for days. Wouldn't my mom? Well, she wouldn't let me starve for days. It's not really fair to say. But anyway, she tried to feed it to me. I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't eat it. And uh, well, anyways, I'm, I'm an adult now, and I have kids. So I make myself eat it because I want my kids to eat it because it's good for them. But I'm not going to make them eat something that I won't eat, so I eat it, and I hate it. And, uh, and they know that I hate it, but I'm like, well, I have to eat it, so you're eating it too. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> but I can't stand oatmeal. And so when you've eaten oatmeal, it's just bland, and it's, it's, ugh, it's just, I just don't like it. And so anyways, I, I'm eating my oatmeal, and, you know, and then other times I have Lucky Charms. I love Lucky Charms. Lucky Charms are probably my favorite cereal. You're with me, yeah. <laughs> Lucky Charms are the best. Now, if I ate those every day, it'd probably kill me. But I love Lucky Charms. I would rather eat those every day. So after eating Lucky Charms and going back to the bland, it's just, it just, ugh. And the thing is, though, with the with the oatmeal, I can doctor it up. I can throw some brown sugar in it. Throw a little bit of of, of uh, 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 almond milk in there. You know, not the not the plain almond milk. The stuff with uh, uh, vanilla and, and some sugar in it. Anyways, put some almond milk in there, and it tastes pretty good. It's like a it's like a vanilla smoothie, sort of. Put some banana in there, and it's it's not too bad. But all all I did was I docked it up and made it seem kinda like the, the, the Lucky Charms. And and it has to be the real brand Lucky Charms. It can't be the like the what is it, Malta Meal brand. It has to be the real Lucky Charms because those marshmallows taste way different <laughs> than the other ones. So but you know, not to, I'm not trying to relate Jesus to, to Lucky Charms, but I'm trying to bring it into a way that we can, that you can kind of see from my mind, the way my weird mind works. But um, you know, going back to that oatmeal after having the Lucky Charms, I, I can doctor it up as much as I want, and it might, it'll satisfy me for for a meal or a couple meals, but pretty soon I'm just sick of it. Whereas, Lucky Charms, I could eat Lucky Charms every day, and uh, and I would never get sick of them. Anyway, so since we're speaking of food, John six five it says, where are we uh, six five? I think I'm on verse twenty five actually. Um, In John 6, we're going to dig into this more a little bit later into into John 6. But anyways, on uh, verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed a seal of approval. A lot of the things that we fill our life with on this side of eternity, temporal things that don't last, right? When we die, we're all going to die, right? There any one of us is going to get out of here alive, as the, as the joke goes, right? We're all going to pass away. These bodies are mortal. Our spirits are eternal. We need to be investing in things that are eternal. We need to have the big, big picture in mind. I'm not saying we forget about the little picture. I'm not saying that we forget about the important things to us here and now. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need to keep those things in perspective, we need to keep those things in proper priority, as Pastor Mike's been preaching about for, for a few weeks now. I know we talked about the, what was it, the three Ps of priorities uh, last week, and priority is monu- of monumental importance. Anyways, we're going to dig more into John 6 in a little bit, but we know that the enemy does not want us to fill up on God. We know that he doesn't want us to fill that void, because that is going to make us a powerhouse for Christ. When we are loaded up with, with God, when we are... Our relationship is is in tune with God. We're going to make waves. The enemy does not want this. I think everyone can agree with that, right? You know, some of the things that the enemy uses to distract us can be pretty, pretty obvious things. Some of them not so obvious. Some of them a little more subtle and take time. But I was actually thinking, because obviously being a parent and being a family life pastor, my focus is is, uh, is really on, on families um, parents that have kids of school age, uh, but really this applies at, at really any point in our life because anything that separates us from God, it fits in this, in this container of things that will inoculate that, that hunger and thirst for God. Anything that's going to that's take us away consistently will fit in, that, fit in that container. And I'm not saying, I, I want to also preface this with, none of these things are technically bad in, in and of themselves. But these are things that the enemy uses, and I've seen him use this, I've seen him try to use this in my life, I've seen him use this in my friends' lives growing up, and, and there's some differences in the outcome. But one that, that comes to mind, very popular one, especially with people with school age children, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is sports or things like like band or um, or some other any of the arts, any anything that's extracurricular in the schools. Our society has changed. I don't think anyone would argue with me on that. Ask any of our older saints, and they would tell you: 50 years ago, Wednesday nights were a sacred night. We did not school, school; we did not schedule school events on Wednesday night. Period. That was a church night. That was dedicated to the Lord. Sundays? No way. Most businesses were closed on Sundays. Sunday was dedicated to the Lord. Society does not do that. Every game is on Sunday, and most of your practices are on Wednesday. So at point, some point, you have to choose. Where are my priorities? Now, when I was growing up, I appreciate very much, I didn't then, but I appreciate very much now that my parents made a commitment to church. We had all kinds of things. I was, I was athletic. I loved sports. I played soccer. I hated letting my team down. But my parents made a commitment to church. We were going to be in church. It was a priority that, as a family, that we had, regardless. So I missed lots of games. Our travel team, that's most of the games are on Sunday. The only time I made a game is if it was close enough that and it was late enough in the day that if it was after service, then we could run over, do the game, and then get back for evening service and that's how we, that's how that 's how I grew up. I had friends that their parents went to church as well, but they sacrificed church for those other events the thing the, the problem I have it 's not a problem with the sport it 's not even technically a problem with culture because our culture is is, they're, they're, it, it's, it is it is what it is We should be invading culture, but we should not be letting culture invade us and the the problem I have with it, is what message does it tell your children? Are you willing to put the eternity of your children at risk so that we can have them play on a sports team while they're in school for the few years they're in school? Maybe they get seen by some recruiter or something and they get onto a college team or a pro team. But what are the I don't know. My my wife wrote off the statistics for that. It's like point zero zero three or something, chance, that you're going to go pro. There's a chance, but, you know, the thing is, though, is I know that if you put God first, that that chance will exponentially grow if they're in the bracket of people that should be playing pro. Because God has our best interests in mind, right? He's the creator of the universe. He knew whether you are going to be able to play good football or not. He's going to figure it out. You make him a priority, right, and all these things will come after, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. We're gonna get to that later. Another one. This is a this is one I personally hate. You probably don't don't throw tomatoes or stones at me, but I hear this one frequently, and it's probably one of the biggest cop outs, um, the biggest cliches, and I, I absolutely hate hearing it. It just grates because everybody's busy, right? Is there anyone here that's not busy? Raise your hand. Everybody's busy, and the, I hear this one occasionally from uh, different people that say, well. Sunday is my only day. I work every day of the week. I work Monday through Saturday. I work every day of the week and my only day off is Sunday. And I know I'm preaching to the crowd because all of you guys are here and like Hannah said there were stories about all the calamities that happened on the way of getting here. Some people were sick, some people were really tired, and you guys are here anyway. So I commend you for that and I think that's awesome. But you guys aren't here to please me anyway. You need to please the Father. That's the only one that matters. But my only day off is Sunday and I really want to use that as a family day. What are we in church for? The purpose of the church is that this is family. If you don't think that this is family, if this isn't a family thing, then, then you're in the wrong church. Church is about family. Okay, yeah, my, my, my family, my wife, my kids, right? The, yeah, we're a family unit, but this, the body of Christ, is that we're going to be spending eternity together, so you better get used to each other. Right? This is family. If I only had one day a week to spend with my family, I would much rather set them, send the message that this is important. Getting together on Sunday is absolutely important. Does it have to be Sunday? No. But that's collectively what the, the Christian world has decided is our main day. Maybe the Catholics have Saturday, right? So, I mean, same thing. They're still, we picked the day, and this is our day to get together. So Sunday is what this body, center point, we've, we've collected to decide that Sunday is our day. So that's when we're going to get together to worship together. I don't mean just worship music, but I mean worship the whole service. This is worship. This is worship. Right now, reading of the word is worship, taking offering is worship, singing is worship. That's all worship. I would I would uh, challenge that if your only day off is Sunday, and you choose that that family time is more important, and I will have to say that I've caught, Plenty of my friends, in, you know, red-handed, doing something that had nothing to do with family on that day they decided they were going to take for church. Um, but it made them feel good to say that they were doing something else. Not saying that everyone does that, but, you know. I give your ch- kids about a 5% chance of remaining Christians when, they adu- when they're adults. When you make church a priority, I give them more like a 95% chance of remaining Christian. when they become adults. What mom and dad find important now, okay, what's important to mom and dad now, is most likely what's going to be important to your kids later. Most likely what's going to be important to them later. And, and maybe, maybe some of those that have raised their kids and they've gone away, I, I don't know if you can a, if, agree and attest to that. I mean, not everyone's the same, I realize that. But typically a part of you is in them, so the things that were important to you, some of those traits take on. I, I think about Tom, your son, playing, playing music. Music was an important part. Obviously in church, because he's, he's doing ministry. But, it, 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 and, and again, we all have, the free will comes into play here as well. Free will comes into play, but there also is another scripture that says, train them when they're young, right, in a way that they should go, and then they will return to it. Which I stand on and believe. That will happen. It might happen late in their life. Prayerfully it doesn't. Prayerfully it happens sooner than later which I forgot to say in my second question, but that's what it was. We were just talking about it. It was how do we lose our hunger? Well, that's how. We lose it slowly and subtly. The enemy puts these things in there that are going to make us stumble. A lot like Paul's pain, and that, that they inoculated that pain. It makes it disappear. And it's a lot easier when you've stepped away from the Lord to keep stepping away from the Lord farther and farther and farther. It's a whole lot easier the farther away you get. Conviction isn't as loud. God's voice isn't as loud. I would go so far as to say, if if Sunday is your only day to spend as a family, I, I, it makes me think of a. There was a story, I, I, and I I didn't really know why the gentleman was sharing it with me, but it happened just this past week. The gentleman's name is Kirby. Um, he's a uh, a uh, a veteran saint that. Uh, I really, I, I, again, I still he just started telling me the story. I'm sitting there, and and he said he. he Start talking about he started a plumbing business. He said forty years ago started this plumbing business, and it was just a part time thing. I was doing it on the side for for fun and uh, well, not really for fun for for an income, but just a supplemental and After a few years, it started growing and it started getting bigger and, and bigger, and it got to a point where i 'm really trying to decide, all right, do I make this full time or Or should I just keep it part-time? What should I do? I I need, I got to start hiring people or something because this is getting, you know, too big for me. It just kind of spiraled. And uh, he really felt the Lord was telling him, you need to take this full-time. This is going to be your full-time, you know, full-time job and and that's what you're going to do. And he he prayed about it and he said, you know, I'm willing to do this full-time, Lord, but give me my weekends. I want my Saturdays for my family and I want my Sundays for church. Sundays to be dedicated to you. And, and he prayed that, and, and then he started this, this, this uh, you know, full-time business, and God was faithful in that, he said. He said, years later, he said, yeah, I look back and i, I seen, and, and while I was going through it, i seen my competitors were making more money than I was. My competitors were getting more jobs than I was. The bigger businesses than I did, they seemed far more successful than I seem. But the fruit out of that, and that's really what we need to look at is the fruit. What are we willing to sacrifice to achieve whatever it is we want in this temporal life that is a wisp of a vapor of nothing right, compared to eternity? Um, anyways, he, he said, my, my children are serving the Lord. My grandchildren are serving the Lord. Because, yeah, there was a few Saturdays here and there I had to work. But as a rule, that was family time and Sundays were, were, were ministry time. And God was faithful Making change is, is extremely scary. But if your work is taking up that much, I, I would have to, again, I, I, I like to lean on, on logic to, uh, to, a, to a large extent when I think about these things. The creator of the entire universe, who knows every hair on your head, I would, I would have to ask the question, do you really think that God didn't know you were going to be busy? Did you think that he didn't know you were going to have however many kids you have and they were going to have all these things they like to do or you were going to have these physical ailments or this, these, whatever? Do you think God did not know that ahead of time? He knows everything from the beginning to the end and everything in between, everything that's going to happen, everything in between. He knows. He knows. In fact, I believe if you finish reading through Romans 8, it digs into that even a little bit more. And we're going to read right here in Matthew 6:25 through 34 it says therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink about your body what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet the heavenly father feeds them are you not much more valuable than they can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life actually I think science has proved that worrying just makes you not live as long so Verse 28, it says, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If you don't know who Solomon was, he was like the richest and wisest man that ever lived. And you would read about him in the Old Testament. But verse 30, it says, If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, "What shall we eat?" or "What shall we drink?" and what shall we wear?" For the pagans run after such or all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Right there. Key scripture. The heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows you need an income to, f- to feed your family. Absolutely. He knows your hurts, he knows your wants, he knows your desires, He knows everything in between. So if a change needs to happen, do it prayerfully, do it with wisdom. But if you need to make a change, then make a change. Make a change. If you aren't feeling hungry for God anymore, that tells me that you're filling your life with the wrong things. Too much of the wrong things. Or even too much of the right things, I guess you could say. Because it's a balance. You've got to have some balance in there. There's nothing wrong with achieving personal interests and personal goals. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when it Impacts our relationship with God. There's something very wrong with it, which leads me to the final question. My my first of four clo- closings. Right? But maybe you're already there. Maybe you're at a point where you feel that your your want, your desire, your hunger for God is waning. Or maybe it's all altogether gone. Every time you hear about a church event, it's like, another church event. I don't want to do another church event. It's not really any fun. I don't want anything to do with it. Or a prayer night. Or anything. You know, it. it and I, I have certainly been here. So again, I'm, 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 I'm preaching this. Not at all being like I'm on the, the what do they call it, the ivory tower looking down at everyone else. But I've certainly been here where it's like, oh, come on. You know, I don't want to do another. I've got all these things to do. And I do not want to have another night where... I'm having to dedicate to this or to that, and uh, so I have certainly been here. And the last question is, what what do we need to get that hunger back? So, are you hungry? You know, how do we lose that hunger, and then what do we need to do to get it back? Again, if we if we haven't had a relationship with God, we've never we've never filled that, so we don't know what it's like to to fill that. It's a pretty obvious path there. But if you've had it and you're losing it, what do we need to do to get it back? You know, this is going to be. The hardest fight of your entire life, getting that hunger back, and even really ma- maintain, you know, maintaining that hunger, takes discipline. You're gonna have to fight tooth and nail. You know, it th- makes me think about uh, um, if there's any Star Wars fans in here. The um, Empire Strikes Back, I think, is where it is, and uh, it's where Luke Skywalker. You know, he's got Yoda. He's on the I don't know what the planet's called. I'm a terrible um, Star Wars fan because I don't remember all the names of things, but um, anyways, he's, uh, he's got Yoda on his backpack, and Yoda's having him do all these things. It's his training grounds, right? He's training to be a Jedi Master, and Yoda is the Jedi Master, and he's teaching Luke, and anyways, there's a there's a scene where Luke goes into this, I think it's a cave or something, and you know, Yoda's outside, Anyways, uh, Luke goes in the cave, and he ends up in this battle with Darth Vader. It's like, well, how did he get there? Where did Darth Vader come from? And he pops out, and he's fighting Darth Vader, and and he's going on and then ends up cutting Darth Vader's head off and his head falls down and then the the helmet explodes and it's it's him. It's, it's Luke's face that's there. not Not Vader's face underneath there. It was Luke's face under the mask. Kind of symbolizing that he was fighting against himself this whole time. The only person getting in the way of him becoming a Jedi Master was himself. That's it. And I would I would beg to, to, to argue exactly the same thing in our lives. The only person that's really going to get in the way of your relationship with God is you. Not your kids. You can't use them as an excuse. Your relationship with God is between you and God, not between you and your kids and God. It's not a triangle. It's, it's, your kids need to have their own relationship with God, too. That's important. It's not a triangle or a circle. You're going to have to fight yourself tooth and nail. So going back to John, verse 6 or sorry, not John, John 6, chapter 6, verse 1 at the beginning here. We're going to read about this a little bit because I, I see some of this fickleness in, in the multitudes that would follow Jesus, the same things that we struggle with. But it so says, sometime after this, this is verse 1, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. disciples the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? I want to note, in this day and age, it wasn't exactly easy to uh, to travel. And this is, as it's going to reveal here, this is like over 5,000 men that are that are here. So that means if you figure, they, they said families as well. So 5,000 men, if they're married and their are kids, I mean, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. And the only way to travel then was by boat, or horse, or donkey, well, probably donkey donkey—and can't—I don't know—I don't know how they traveled exactly by foot. Mostly, you can't afford those things. You're traveling by foot. It wasn't easy to travel. So these people were hungry for something. They were, there was definitely a draw. There was a desire that was drawing them to Jesus. So, anyways, so Jesus asks um, to Philip. He says, "Where shall we b- buy bread for these people to eat?" Verse six. It says he asked that only to test. We already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing go to waste or be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After people, the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountainside by himself. So the people were obviously getting filled. I don't think they're realizing necessarily that spiritually they're getting filled. Their bellies were getting filled too, but they're also getting getting filled spiritually, which I don't think they were recognizing that. And, and I think same thing with us. Sometimes we don't recognize that uh, that we're that we're, when we're getting filled the right way, and we associate that fulfillment to the wrong thing. And we had a, maybe we had a, a great experience with a, with a football game, and so now we feel like. That's going to always fill that. Or we had a great experience with, uh, with, with some kind of social event. But we, we, we tend to, again, we, we're not identifying what is filling, what's truly filling. Anyways, we continue on. This is where Jesus walks on water. Um, we're going to continue into that and then get to the next part, which I think is important. But Not that this isn't important, but for today's message. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day the crowd had stayed on the opposite shore and realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread and uh, that the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So hopefully that makes a little more sense, because I read that scripture at the beginning. But these people were seeking God, really it was for the wrong reasons. They were trying to get something filled. They weren't, they weren't really realizing that, uh, that, that there was more. Jesus was giving them more than what they even realized. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? And verse 31, our, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, well, the wilderness, sorry, as it is written. Have, or he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them very truly, I it is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say now, or now say, I'm, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. Very truly I tell you that one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus continues, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Anyway, he was it. It continues on, and it, and it continues on that. On hearing it, many of the disciples they couldn't they couldn't handle it was too much, they couldn't handle it, and they and they left. And then he ends up he's just addressing his twelve at the end here. But I, I see this the, kind of this fickleness even within the church is we 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 get a little taste and we get a little filled right, with God, but when it doesn't, I guess uh, it, I don't know a nice way to put it, but when it doesn't. Tickle our, our pleasure sensors the, the right way, then we start walking ourselves away until we can find something else that, that tickles that, that, that same way, and we start filling it with other things. Second closing. Jackie, come on up. To take control of that, of that, that hunger, to get that hunger back is going to take discipline. It's going to take getting in God's Word on a daily basis hashing out that time in your schedule to spend time in prayer with God, because that's our, that's our communication, that's our main communication with God, is prayer and the Word of God. That is God's Word, that's His voice coming out of those pages. That's why I'm reading Scripture, especially in its entirety, because even if I get something wrong when I'm preaching, which I'm sure I do sometimes, when I read that, there's nothing wrong. That's thats out of Scripture. That goes right into your spirit, that's going to fill you, that's going to edify you. It does not return void. It's an investment that I know I can make that has a return, guaranteed return. Get into God's word. It will change. What does it say? says by renewing of the mind, right? By getting into God's word. There's a scripture that says that. It will change you. And again, I don't, it doesn't matter how long we've been a Christian, how young or how old we are, we always have rough edges we need to work off. Things that we need to change in our lives. Scripture is going to change it. Let God change those things, change those things in you. But it's going to take discipline. It's going to take work. It's going to be hard. God's got to be number one priority. God comes before your family. He comes before your kids. He comes before your wife. He comes before your job. God comes number one. And if you put God first, then all those other things will line up perfect. They'll line up Perfect. You start putting other things on top of God and it's going to be one big discombobulated mess. So ask yourself those questions. Am I hungry? When I hear about something that's going on that I have an opportunity to minister, things like like, uh, the Keurigs. I, I think I said it right. Keurigs. I got it right. Things like like opportunities to pray together. Things like these missionaries coming are an excellent opportunity to to put yourself to the test. Even if you can't make it, are you hungry to be there, to be a part of what God's doing? Are you hungry? If not, then what is it that's making you lose that hunger? What are those things in your life that need to change that are taking you and separating you from God? And then finally, what's it going to take to get that back? To get that hunger back to where you will sacrifice anything and everything to get closer to God, because that's investing in the eternal. Because again, this life is but a wisp of a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. I mean, a hundred years—if we're lucky. Most people, it's the average age in, in the United States has actually gone down a little bit. I think it's like in the, in the in our 70s, maybe 80s. That's the average average lifespan of a human. That's nothing when it comes to eternity. Eternity is forever. The human mind can't comprehend forever. We can, we can display it mathematically. But forever is forever. Unending, nonstop, forever. Invest in forever. As for me, as for me and my house, I am not willing to sacrifice my children's future because I want to do fun things or something that seems more fun or more productive. I would much rather sacrifice those things. I would much rather look like the weird family a weird homeschool family or whatever it is, you know, have my kids here, have my kids doing things that are that are ministry, have them be the worst sports players, which they're not, they they can play sports, but I'd much rather have them in that situation and have their eternity secured than to do those things. it's, it's not it's not worth the risk. Not worth the risk. I'd like this morning just everyone to let's bow our heads let's close our eyes this is a kind of a habit I started a long time ago it's something my mentor did and that I don't want to have a a time that I speak that I don't offer salvation even if everyone in here is saved I'm still going to put it out there in case there's somebody that I don't know that doesn't have a relationship with Christ I want to put put the offer out there that if you've never asked the Lord and you never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to call you up here and embarrass you in, in front of everyone. We'll, what what, uh, what I typically do is I, I just want, want you to raise your hand so you're acknowledging it. And then I'm going to ask everyone to pray together in a, in a voice that's loud enough for their own ears to hear. And then I would ask that you tell somebody about it. So that you've got that testimony that, you're, that you're, you're, you're speaking Christ with your mouth and saying that, yes, I accepted Christ. So thinking of that right now. If there's anyone in here that's never asked Christ into your heart with you, everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like you to just slip your hand up so that I know. I also want to provide an opportunity if you maybe feel like you've walked away from the Lord and your relationship with God isn't where it should be, you feel like you've fallen away, I want to present that opportunity to rededicate your life to the Lord. So if there's anyone that feels like they're in that Situation where they they're struggling in their walk with God. I want you to slip your hand up. All right. Then I would like everyone, just as a body, everyone together, just just uh, pray with me. Just repeat after me as we uh, as we say this prayer together as a family. Heavenly Father. Lord, I believe in you I believe you died on the cross for my sins I believe three days later that you rose again from the dead Lord forgive me for the sins in my life I repent of those things and from this day forward that I'm going to put you first in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's just continue in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you this morning, and um, sermons like this are certainly not my favorite to give. But I know you've you brewed this in my heart for a reason, if it was, even if it was only for me. But I know that we all have things in here that we can take away from this morning's message, and Lord, I pray that uh, that we would use that that soap principle that, that I you know heard heard uh, so many people use when they're when they're studying their word that they would read scripture the s read the scripture that Lord that the o they would observe what it's saying and the a that they would apply it to their life and how 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 does this apply how does this how does this fit with me and then that they would practice put that into practice Lord. Lord, and I pray this for myself as well, that when I read scripture, that it would change me. That I wouldn't try to change scripture to fit my life, but it would change me and the things that I need to change about my life. Lord, help us to be hungry. Lord, I'm sure there's bellies rumbling right now because they're physically hungry, but Lord, give them a spiritual hunger. Lord, I don't want anyone, I don't want anyone just making it to heaven On the, by the by, as my, my, my uh, one of my mentors, Pastor, Pastor Rhodes, who's in heaven with you now, Lord, but as he used to say, with their coattails smoldering. Lord, I want them to be spiritual strong men. I want them to have muscles out their ears because their spirits are so strong. I don't want to see people that are, that spiritual man looks like a stick man. Lord, just help us to, to get hungry for you and to recognize what that hunger is, what that emptiness is, what that feeling of, of loss or or, or that, that that hole that might be in, our, in ourselves. I pray that they would identify it and they would fill it with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to close, and I'm going to be up here in the front if anyone needs prayer. Anyone wants to pray? So I pray the Lord bless you and keep you, that He makes His face shine down upon you, and uh, He gives you peace.